What is up, everybody? Welcome in episode 228 of Living Off the Land. I'm Dan here with uh, my co-host Stephen and a very special guest on tonight's show. Straight from section 228 at the Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. Well, not actually a Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, but that's what I'm going with. Uh, yeah, we got three people in the studio tonight. Um, my daughter Scarlett is here. So hi, Scarlett. If you if you manage oh, to talk right at any at point, then uh, <laughs> that's who that is. So, so Scarlett is joining us. Uh, apologies again for no promised post game show this week. We had a COVID scare within the podcast. Yes, and uh, and that was legit because my dad had it. I was close contact with him on Thursday. Yeah, so. but uh, we're all tested. We're all negative, and we are good to go. So we're going to do our post game show today. So. First, we've got Beer of the Week this week, and I have got a non-Cleveland, non-Ohio beer this week. Hmm. This, be- this beer comes from Comstock, Michigan. It is an American wheat ale. It is from Bell's. It is their Oberon ale. Bell's from Kalamazoo, Michigan, I believe. No, it, says Com- I don't know, it says Comstock right on the bottle. Oh, Comstock. Oh, Interesting. Okay, Bell's I know has a uh, brew pub in Kalamazoo. I guess that must not be where they're based, though. So anyway, uh, if you like wheat wheat ales, uh, you're more than likely going to like uh, Bell's Oberon. I'm not going to talk too much about it. Not going to spend too much time on it. Uh, I'll just I'll just read this. Uh, it's an American wheat ale with a spicy hop character, mildly fruity aromas, and the color and scent of a sunny afternoon. Oberon is made with just malt, hops, and Bell's signature how. House ale, yeast, and water. The result is a medium body and full flavor, making it the perfect beer for warm weather. And this is definitely a summer warm weather beer. And I forgot to mention the fourth leg to our podcast today. He's making some noise, uh, as always. The official mascot of Living Off the Land. Champ, 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 champ. Champ doesn't know what to do with himself with you standing up. I think that's the. I think that's the thing. So, but. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that is, this is uh, the beer of the week this week. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and rate it a 7-4. This is one of my favorite uh, wheat ales. Very good job. It, it's shocking that I would rate a Michigan beer that high, but uh, yeah. Michigan. Yes, yes. So 7.4, uh, you can get over on anywhere. And uh, yeah, enjoy it. That's the beer of the week this week. So uh, no better no neighborhood this week. Uh, as tonight is is pretty much going to serve as our post game show for the Browns, and we are celebrating on a victory Tuesday. Yes, we are. God, Steve, it happened. What? It happened. Oh my God! What? Oh my God! We won no. a season opener. And uh, hold on a second. So we were winning most of the game. Ugh. And then we gave up the lead, just like you said we were going to. Yep. Real, literally, the only difference that was that game, there was a minute left when Carolina kicked the field goal and wasn't right at the buzzer. Literally, was playing out the exact way. I said exactly. One hundred percent. Except Baker and the Panthers left. Uh, funny enough, Jacoby Brissett a little too much time. 
on the clock. Credit to the Browns' defense. You know, they gave up big plays early in that final scoring drive by Carolina, but when Carolina needed another first down to basically run out the rest of the clock, they couldn't get it. Browns' defense played almost a flawless game aside from three plays. Three busted coverages, basically. The bomb to Robbie Anderson was definitely the the worst. Well, that of the three. that that was the one where I, I looked at my bro, I looked at Mike and my dad, and I'm like, "Look at the score, you know what's going to happen, right?" And I actually tweeted it. I'm like, "You guys know exactly what's about to happen." In the group text, even before that play, I said, "This this is looking awfully close to what Dan predicted." And then <laughs> that play happened. I was like, "Well, now it really looks like it's going to happen." <laughs> yeah, I it just oh gosh. I just I I thought it was going to happen. And I mean, oh, come on, like you had to all expect, you know, once it went twenty four for twenty three, that this was even before then that this was not going to end well. And even as Cade York was lining up for this fifty eight yard field goal, I was like, hold on a second, no way, this this uh, c- come on, please, there's no way this guy's going to make this fifty eight yards. It was a no doubt or two. Unbelievable. That's the best part. You know like, the great. The great is uh is is he he played a draw. Yeah, like it. I saw some videos of some from some of the Browns backers bars from around the country. Oh, and and by like, the way, by the way, those reactions, especially the ones in Chicago and the ones in New York City, that's like World Cup level like like uh, reactions. Oh yeah, that's not a regular season NFL game. No. We have the best fans in all of in all of Amer- in all of American sports, surely. But yeah, unbelievable. I would just make sure she doesn't uh, start crawling over those cords. Yeah, Champ but, and her are just uh, having a little go. bit of fun down there, there right now. <laughs> Apologies for that. A uh, little little uh, behind the scenes uh, window into living off the land. But anyway, yeah, what unbelievable! What a kick! It's crazy. Um, so, yeah. Incredible, honestly. I mean, at, how in the world did this guy comes up? It's his rookie. He's a rookie. It's his first game in the NFL. First game. Yeah. And he does that. And not only that, he was three for three up to that point. Hits three for three. And was he also two for two on uh, extra points, I think? Yes, he was. So, yeah. I mean, there's that. And. It was a 58-yard field goal to win a game. <laughs> what, you don't like field goal kickers? <laughs> Come on. Maybe she just doesn't have a full appreciation of it yet. Yeah. She's new. She doesn't understand the whole, you know, 18 years since we last won an opener thing. Oh, you know? God. We were seniors in Strongsville High School. That's unbelievable when you think about it. Yeah, absolutely crazy. So uh, just to just to kind of go through – um, you know, this was obviously the Baker Bowl, and uh, you know, this is going to be the last time that uh, we say anything in depth about that guy on this podcast because we played him. It's over. We won. It's over and done with. There's nothing else really to say about it. So, right, like I said before the game, it's just one game. We're one and zero. This game doesn't count for any more than any of the other games. Now I kind of wish it did, but, you know, yeah. the way everybody was, you know, getting girded up for this game, you'd think it was like a playoff game or something. But Now I got a know. trivia question for you. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we go back to 2004 with this stat automatically, but 
When was the last time the Browns started the season 2-0? I would guess 1994. You're a year too early or too late. Oh. 93. 93. Bernie Kosar was the quarterback of the Browns. Last time that happened. That doesn't surprise me. 29 years. It's the last time we started 2-0. and Usually, it's 0-2. Yeah, well, yeah, most years it is 0-2. Yeah. So, the Browns not only got off to a good start, they're really helping themselves uh, because they won this game and they have the Jets coming up. And we'll, we'll get into it as we go around the NFL uh, in a little bit. But, uh, you know, the Steelers are going to be without their best player when they come to Brown Stadium in a week and a half next Thursday. Uh, yeah, that was one of the bigger developments of week one, not just for the Browns are concerned, but league-wide. Yeah, so, uh, but just to get into this game, obviously, like I said, it was the Baker Bowl. It was the quote-unquote revenge game for him, you know, off the leash, blah, 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 all that crap. Um, it, uh, you know, we got the full gamut of Baker in this game. He was absolutely horrific in the first quarter in the first half. Horrific. I mean, some of the worst, some of the worst that he's ever played. Basically, everything that his critics have said all off season, it was playing out in the first half. He was not seeing the field. He was, you know, not. He's fumbling. He was, you know, making poor plays, poor reads. Oh my God! How many? How many? How many uh, messed up snaps did they have in that game? At least three or four, by my yeah. count. Yeah, that was that was insane. And then the, the interception that he threw was just. I mean. I, uh, <laughs> Bull. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, but for once, a Baker interception was good for us. It was good for us on Sunday. He only threw one. Um, but, yeah, so I don't want to turn this into the Baker thing, but I, I just want to acknowledge it because this is the last time that we're really going to talk about it, other than when they play – when the Panthers play our division rivals, we would be rooting like hell for Baker. Absolutely. So, they but anyway, give us some victories over the Ravens, Steelers, and Bengals. Oh man, the winning quarterback in this game, I thought, actually played even worse than Baker. If that, if that's, if that's possible, at least the stats bear that out. Yes. Um, he was I late mean, I, on I, a I lot would... of reads. He actually, to be honest with you, he actually should have cost us the game. Uh, on that last play where he fakes uh, spike, fake it. spike, and it looked like they were going to throw a flag for that. That a hundred percent should have been a penalty. One hundred percent. Yeah, Panthers fans were really vocal about the officials after this game. Uh, not just that play, but the roughing the passer play that came earlier in that final yeah. drive, which was you know it's questionable. It's a judgment call by the referee. You know, it's not reviewable. So letter like, of the law. Know, what what was, do you want to do? Letter of the law was roughing the passer. He made contact with the quarterback's head, but it was it was indeed weak. Uh, so, you know, I, I thought, I thought it was great to see Kareem Hunt back healthy. He was awesome. Nick Chubb, awesome. The two-headed monster. I mean, that's gonna, that's gonna be, have to be our calling card until, uh, you know, week 13 in Houston. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, Nick Chubb was awesome. Nick Chubb, 141 yards on the ground. Kareem Hunt, both of our touchdowns. Both yep. were instrumental in pretty much everything the Browns did offensively. Yep. And uh, Nick Chubb, 23 touches. Kareem Hunt, 15 touches. Combined, 38 touches. 
I got to see that every week. And you only threw the ball 33 times by comparison, so you ran the yes. ball more than you passed. Yes. That is important. Yep. The, the, the key to the Browns having success in this uh, you know pre-Deshaun Watson period is getting the lead. The Browns are not going to be a team that comes from behind on, on, on folks. They're going to have to get a lead, and they're going to have to hold on to it. Yeah, which they didn't do a good job of in the fourth quarter of this game, no. unfortunately. Um, that's something that you know, the defense is going to have to work on, and particularly the secondary when it comes to coverages. And I mean, good grape. You, so this is not just a criticism of the Browns. This is a criticism of a lot of teams, you're, you, especially when you're holding a lead. How is it that so often you see plays where the corner is with the receiver and the receiver's on a go route or like a deep post or something, and the corner lets him go thinking that the safety is over top, and perhaps the safety is, but what if he's not? And and the safety has to cover another route over the middle or right. is on a blitz or something, and, and right. it just ends up being nobody's there, and all of a sudden you got an 80-yard touchdown, and then the game is completely changed on its head. Right. You see that so often in a lot. I mean, maybe not league-wide. It didn't seem like league-wide offenses were really that great in week one, but you see this all the time. It's amazing to me that in situations like that, corners just let guys go. You'd think that they would be like – Thinking worst case scenario more so than you know giving up the five or ten yard out or curl route, you know. Yeah, I. So a lot of times that's what that. So on, I believe it was the Robbie Anderson touchdown. Uh, John Johnson was playing hero ball in that play. He was trying to pick six Baker. He was trying to bait him into that short route for Baker to throw it, and then for him to jump it. He was playing hero ball. That's why that got that got uh, blown deep. These these uh, corner that that was a zone that was a zone play and you know those corners they protect a zone of the defense so they're gonna pass defenders off so it's not their job to cover a guy deep even if he's technically covering him on the snap because he's supposed to card the flat or whatever and uh, John Johnson just uh, he got caught peeking and uh, you know he was a little selfish on that play so yeah. Terrible, uh, especially when you're trying to hold a lead. I mean, that's the last thing you want to do is give up a play that can completely change the game. Absolutely. Terrible. Absolutely. Um, I just wanted to go through uh, some more. Uh, Miles Garrett obviously had the uh, sacks on consecutive plays. My opinion, should have had a third sack. He was not credited with the sack uh, on the uh, fumbled – I think it was a fumbled snap. Um that Baker had one of the four or five uh, that uh, Miles Garrett just kind of touched him down. I thought he was going to get credit with a sack there, but they didn't give it to him. So he had two sacks. Oh, that's him. lame. I didn't realize that. Yeah, he only, they only credited him with two sacks, and he got him on back-to-back plays. The second one, he should have recovered the fumble, but somehow it squirted out of his uh, his gut, and Baker was able to fall on it. Uh, Miles played a great game. I thought he was he was virtually unblockable. Um, I actually thought Anthony Walker played really well. Uh, I'm maligned, much maligned by me last year. I did not think uh, Anthony Walker is very good for the Browns last year, but uh, he played really well yesterday. Um, I thought our corners played up, played pretty well. Uh, Grant Delpit obviously had the interception of Baker, so he played really well. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. Uh, Jadevian Clowney had a couple of uh, uh, pass deflections from the line. Um, 
so uh, overall, uh, aside from the uh, the busted coverages, the, the three of them, I thought the defense played lights out. And if we're going to get that, that um, you know, you can shore up those busted coverages. But other than that, if we're going to get that type of performance out of the defense, uh, we're going to be in pretty much every game this year. The thing is, is our quarterback play going to be good enough to be able to uh, get us over the hump in a lot of these games? Right. I feel like the errors that the Browns defense made, given the capabilities of the offense, if we were playing against a really good team, we probably would have lost this game. But be that as it may, we weren't playing a really good team and we got away with it. And yeah. if the quarterback, you know, Jacoby Brissett, the one thing that he did that he, you know, we can talk about because you said he didn't have as good a game as Baker, but he was better than Baker in one aspect. He didn't turn the ball over. Very true. He did that's not. That's huge. That's enormous. Um, oh, another guy that I thought had a great game. Donovan Peoples-Jones, I thought, had a phenomenal Oh, fantastic. Game. He had a huge couple of monster catches on third down. Which is interesting, too, going. because he only had 60 yards receiving. He had six catches for 60 yards. But, man, he had no drops. And pretty much every single reception he had was tough. I mean, he didn't have one easy catch pretty much the entire game. Um, you know, whether it was because of inaccuracies of the quarterback, whether it was because of tight coverage. Um, he had just an incredible game. Incredible. Uh, one of the head scratchers, and I don't know if this was uh, a scheme thing. They only threw to David Njoku once. He had one catch for seven yards. One target, one catch, seven yards. I didn't like that. Stefanski but. said in the postgame press conference that uh, he was proud of the way Njoku blocked his ass off. So I don't know if he was mainly supposed to serve as a blocker in the game uh, on Sunday. Yeah, it's got to be a game plan and a scheme thing, particularly it's if the be. head coach called it out for but again, that. But also, you just gave him a $60 million contract. You don't do that for a blocker. So hopefully in games coming up, he's going to be more involved uh, in the passing game. So, uh, yeah. I, th is there anybody that you, that I missed? Well, obviously, I mean, we talked about it a little bit in the open, but Cade York, man. Oh. That is why you draft a kicker. You actually invest in the position and make it a priority, which the Browns did for a long time until they just unceremoniously cut Phil Dawson. I think that was, what, after the 2016 season? Yeah. You know, and every, ever since then, they've struggled to the position. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Who gets your game ball? Well, other than Cade York, I mean, obviously he gets one. Um, you only me, get one. I only get, oh, okay. Uh, well, it, it's still got to be Cade York then if, right. if I only get one, for sure. Yeah, Cade York, that's a that's an obvious pick. That's a good pick. Um, I'm going to go with Kareem Hunt. That would have been my second choice. <laughs> Kareem Hunt had that little mini holdout in training camp. He basically said, I want a new contract. If you don't want to give a new contract, trade me. The Browns said, huh, you're under contract. No, we're not trading you. And the Browns said, how about new? So basically the Browns said, uh, justify a new contract on the field this year. Stay healthy and produce. And what did he do? He had two touchdowns yesterday. He had 15 touches, 70 yards. And he was back to being the menace that he was two years ago uh, for the Browns. 
So my game ball goes to Kareem Hunt. If we get that Kareem Hunt with any sort of <laughs> consistency, I can't tell you how big that is because not only is he a threat in the running game, he's a threat in the passing game as well. And you yeah. get a lot of those, you know, kind of short routes, you know, the valve dump offs, you know, for Brissett if if another more difficult route's not there, you know, that's that's massive. So this is interesting. So we did our uh, our Jacoby Brissett schedule game. Basically, we we win lost uh, the first eleven weeks of the season. You had the Browns at five and six after eleven. Mm-hmm. I had the Browns at four and seven. Yes, but we both had this opening game as a loss. Yes. So where does this go now? Does this simply just do we simply just adjust up a game? You go to six and five. I go to five and six. Or could this be – because I, I want to say the other way. For me, the other way, and especially the way that that game was going and the way that I laid it out, if they would have lost that game like that, I said that, this, that that was going to be a dark cloud that hung over the team the entire season because of who – the way you lose that game and who you lose that game to. It certainly had the potential to be that. No doubt about it. So with the game going that way and you looking like, oh, doom and gloom, like this is this is the way it's going to be. This is the way it's always been on season openers. We're really going to lose to this guy. You know, he didn't have a fourth quarter drive for a win for us at all last year, and he's going to do it in his first game with his new team against us. Does it flip the other way just because Cade Yord made that kick? Is this a galvanizing moment for this team? You know, a team that the national media especially has completely counted out. Because of, you know, the national media, even though he's not playing these first 11 weeks, is dogging this team because of Deshaun Watson and the off the field uh, situation that uh, um, that they're hindering this club to. So is this maybe a rallying cry to where this team is going to be very much a, uh, you know, us against the world type mentality? And are they going to, you know, we play the Jets this week. You know, this could be, a, this very much could be a, uh, you know, after winning that game in that fashion on Sunday, you come out flat against the Jets and lay an egg. It's possible. The Browns of the last 22 years have done that numerous times. But are you they going to do that this week? You would really hope that they don't do that because they no. have the potential for this to, for again, you talk about this game being a galvanizing moment. You have a chance now with the Jets this week. Atlanta in three weeks, and then you got the Steelers in between. That was the game I wasn't really sure about. I was least confident in when I was picking my wins. Yeah. So I don't know if I want to adjust upward just yet because I'm thinking like, okay, maybe they're gonna play badly in one of these three games. I am starting three and one after you know winning the next three after winning the losing the opener. Okay. So so if you go if you go if you go just by by the rest of your picks, the Browns are gonna it, be four and zero. Would be six, right. They would be four and zero, which. Is scary to me because I would think it, at some point in the next month they're not going to play good in one of these games. But I would doubt it would be this week, honestly. Yeah. I, can't, I can't. I know every team is professional, but the Jets, they don't offer you anything. And they were <laughs> horrendous this week against Baltimore. Yeah. Like, I, I know Baltimore is good, but, like, come on. Um. Yeah. I, the Jets are terrible. So. Um, yeah, I, I hope that they're able to do that. I hope that they're able to take care of business. Um, we're looking forward now. This game is now in the past. We're, we're not the Baker Mayfield, all that stuff. We're not talking about it anymore. 
other than the three games that he plays against our divisional opponents where we will be rooting like hell for. So, as we look forward, let's go around the NFL and see how everybody else fared. Well, we might as well just start with the game I just mentioned, which is the Ravens against the Jets. Uh, the Ravens won this game handily 24-9. to uh, The Jets head coach afterwards said something to the effect of, well, we're keeping receipts on who all is dogging us, and I don't even know what he was saying about that, but uh, bottom line is Baltimore is good. New York is not. Yeah, I mean, there's not really that much else to say uh, in that one. Let's... Uh... There wasn't Let's a go. whole lot of offense in some of these early games. No. Uh, no, to, but I'll to be I, truthful. But I'll tell you what, there was a ton of at least for me and uh, our our pick record this week bears that out. There was a ton of surprising results this week. Lots of them. I mean, week 1 is always hard to predict, but and jeez. And one such game that talks about <laughs> defense and surprising results happened in Chicago where the San Francisco 49ers who we by all rights, look like one of the better teams in the NFC. Well, maybe okay, one of the best. there's a giant caveat that goes along with this game. They were playing in a swamp, a literal swamp. Well, like it doesn't rain in San Francisco. Well, not this time of the year, it doesn't. Yeah, but yeah, but it all it also favor it also that also favors the home team that plays in that stadium every week, even though there's not it's not a a swamp every week. Um, you know, the San Francisco is also a defensive team, but they more so have the ability to put up points than the Bears do. So I think they were pretty flummoxed by the conditions. Whatever it was, they just did not play well. The Bears won that game 19-10, to so yep. definitely an upset there. But uh, Chicago, well, you knew Chicago had a decent defense at least. So, you know, this, they, you know some of these teams that have – bad offenses but have serviceable defenses can pull out games like this every so often saints at falcones the saints with a fury in the fourth quarter end up winning this game 27 to 26 this game was definitely on brand for the falcons yep holding a big lead in the fourth quarter and coughing it up i mean they've been doing that for years and years atlanta folks. atlanta had a 26 to 10 lead with 12 and a half minutes left in the game and they lost i, I mean when we go to it to atlanta in a couple weeks and let, let's say the Browns are, like, losing 24-10 to 10 going into the fourth quarter. I'm just going to say the Browns have the Falcons right where they want them. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. that was uh, – wow, that was typical Atlanta. Um, very, very typical. We go to – we go to the D, and the Eagles win 38-35 against the Detroit Lions. That – that talk about an entertaining game that was we had a feeling this game would be a shootout and it was and Detroit yeah they got a couple of you know garbage time scores late to make it close but I mean very entertaining uh the Eagles offense looked great Jalen Hurts looked great AJ Brown had 10 catches in like 160 yards so the Eagles uh off to a good start there yeah I wouldn't uh I don't know if I would exactly call those touchdowns garbage because they they scored to pull the game within three, and there were still four minutes left. So I definitely think that, uh, you know, the Lions played them extremely tough, and, but the Eagles uh, escaped Detroit with a win. So uh, moving right along, we've got uh, – well, this isn't – this really, if you look Lions at the track record of this game. spread, though. They did. Ugh. <laughs> uh, if you – 
pay attention to the AFC East, you know that uh, the New England Patriots almost never win in Miami, and that was the case uh, on Sunday. The Dolphins dispatch of the, the Patriots 20-7. to I mean, what really is there to say about this game? Uh, I have I th- a case think... of the Sads that I did not actually have the confidence to say that Miami would win this game. Really? And, yeah, no. I, I, for some reason, I just had a bad feeling. Wait, but, you like, picked the Patriots in our, in our? I did. Yes. Which, Interesting. You know, because, like you say, the Patriots often have difficulty in Miami, and it's just. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just had the completely wrong read <laughs> on this game. The Miami's defense was very impressive in this game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, moving right along, we've got the Commandos picking up a win against the Jags. I think I had this one wrong. Yeah, I, I had that one, but I mean, overall, I was just six and ten this week. So you know, th- this was one where it was like, okay, I have no idea. Let's just go with somebody. <laughs> was this the uh, was this the was that the pillow fight of the week? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think I agree with that. Uh, we had a tie in week one in the NFL this year. We almost had two. Almost had two. We're gonna get to that one. But we had a tie down in Houston. Uh, the Colts and the Texans tied at twenty. Indianapolis went about three and a third quarters before they actually decided to play in this game. <laughs> Down 20 to three at the end of the third quarter, they managed to rack up 17 on answer to get to overtime, but I guess they just couldn't manage to get over the hump in the end. Boy, it's almost to the point. It's almost, it almost makes me feel bad for Jordan. The Texans were up 20 to three. <laughs> you know, you go into a season where you know your team's going to suck. You're going to, you're, and you, you're up 20 to three. I'm probably. Uh, would you consider the Colts the Houston's biggest rival? Uh, no, definitely the Titans. Given that, uh, well, yeah, Houston moved it, out of. Oh, that's true. Uh, the moved out of there to Nashville. For some reason, I forgot that they're in the same division. Yeah, stupid by me. Um, but yeah, uh, up twenty to three against the Colts, week one. I mean, you know your team's gonna stink, and you're like, oh crap, we actually look good against a, a good Colts team. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, Indianapolis is still supposed to be a playoff team. And then didn't get it done. And they ended up tying. Unbelievable. Because the Colts, Colts, Colts missed a field goal. Was it in overtime? I believe. Yes. Yeah. Speaking of missing field goals in overtime oh and almost God. ties, both teams in this game missed a field goal in overtime. Yep. The self-proclaimed uh, next Justin Tucker, Evan McPherson. Now this wasn't necessarily his fault. Uh, the 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 long the snapper snap was terrible. Well, the long snapper in Cincinnati was uh, was injured, so it was their backup long snapper, and that wasn't his first bad snap in that game. But that snap was horrible. It was an incredible job by the punter just to catch that thing and put it down. And it, you mess with the timing; it's like boom, boom, two steps, boom. That's if you mess with that at all. It's almost like, you know, you're you're just it's almost automatic that it's going to be a miss. It's, it's like going to be blocked, it's going to be, you know, something. Yeah. So Yeah, that was wild. And then uh the Steelers doink uh, Boswell doinks one off the upright. Made about the loudest doinks out I've ever heard in my life on a missed field goal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh and then Cincinnati. Boy, what about Joe Burrow? Four interceptions and a lost fumble in this game. That's on brand with kind of how I figured the season would go for him and the Bengals. Oof. I didn't think it'd be. I actually didn't even think it would be that bad. But like, wow, four interceptions. Wow. Maybe it's to the Bengals' credit that they almost won this game in spite of that. That's true. I mean, it doesn't say much. They about... should have won that game. That field goal was like a thirty-yard attempt, and he shanked it about fifteen yards left. 
Crazy, crazy, crazy. Just crazy. underscores how important kickers are. I mean, yeah. Browns and win the game said on it? a long kick. Bengals was it you lose. that was it you that said it in our group chat? Just the Steelers just they're they're like they're like uh they're like cockroaches. They just don't die. Yeah, they're like the bug you try to step on, but like they find the groove in the shoe and they just like you, you just can't and then like you spray your whole thing of bug spray on, it yeah. doesn't even affect them. It's like what the hell? And your boy, Mitch Trubisky, one and oh. I mean, not so much because of what he did, but I mean that I mean it gets just like Brissett, you know, managed the game just enough. Giants go into Tennessee and win twenty one to twenty. Brian Day the Giants score a touchdown to make it twenty to nineteen. Brian Dable uh, goes for two. They get it, and then the Titans drive all the way down and uh, miss the field goal at the end. Giants win. Giants are one and zero. Unbelievable. Say, speaking of missed field goals at the end of games, <clears throat> costing teams games. You know that was another one. But honestly, that was such a ballsy decision by Brian Dable because there was more than a minute left. Yeah. In that game. Yeah. So. You know, that wasn't a situation where it was like 10 seconds left or something and the, getting the two was victory. They still had to go out and defend after that. Yeah. Now, credit to the Giants. I mean, they were they were down 13 nothing in that game and battled all the way back and won it. Yeah. Uh, in a battle of a- AFC North rivals, the Vikings just – I mean, the score – we always say anytime you win by two touchdowns, it's a blowout in the NFL. But this game was actually the score line was actually closer than uh, the game actually was. I thought the Viking the Vikings were all over the Packers in this game. Uh, they win twenty three to seven. The most the 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 <laughs> the biggest highlight for this game was just it just glows on the fact that the Packers uh, really screwed up by trading Devontae Adams. Uh, Aaron Rodgers throws a gorgeous 50-yard bomb to their rookie Christian Watson, who lets it go right through his hands. He would have walked into the end zone. The Green Bay might have a little bit of an opening day curse developing here because they were terrible in their season opener last year against New Orleans. Same thing here. Didn't seem to affect them a year ago, but I don't know. I mean, it, it, they did not look good at all yesterday. Yeah. And speaking of Devontae Adams... You know he he looks like every everything's cool for him down in Vegas. Unfortunately for the Raiders, they didn't get quite enough offense to beat the Chargers. They end up losing twenty four to nineteen. Yeah, Devontae Adams ten catches, one hundred forty one yards, and a touchdown. Yeah. But they lose to uh, Pichu's favorite team. Pichu uh, said, "He said that the Chargers were going to win this game. Dan didn't." Chiefs. Uh, their demise was much exaggerated. They go into Arizona and absolutely spank the Cardinals, forty-four to twenty-one. What demise? I yeah. mean, good grief! I mean, who who needs Tyreek Hill? You know, they they just went and they just were absolutely awesome. Travis Kelsey had a big day, got me twenty-six points in fantasy, which I needed like every single one of them too. Yep, yeah. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is still Patrick Mahomes. In case in case you were wondering. Um, Sunday night game, boy, do the Cowboys look absolutely horrific. Oh, man, that was probably the biggest surprise of week one. And even before Dak got injured, they looked terrible. I mean, they looked like they didn't even belong on the same field as the Buccaneers. And uh, uh, Dak Prescott fractured his his thumb on his throwing hand. 
He's expected to miss at least four to six weeks. Um, thanks a lot. He's my fantasy quarterback. But uh, Oh, man, we might have to work a trade. Yeah. Buccaneers, uh, 19. Cowboys, 3. And then we get to the Monday night game. Which you already alluded to earlier. Yeah. Broncos uh, country. Let's ride. That brought up. Yeah. Ugh. So, somehow, Geno Smith is 1-0. and <laughs> I have uh, no earthly comprehension why, other than the Broncos coach just... Is a freaking moron. Just completely gave the game away. At well, the end of the game. that that and uh, I I don't think and I've Melvin e- Gordon fumbling twice on the goal line. I don't think I've ever seen this before. It was back to back series. the The Broncos fumbled going into the end zone on back to back series, and they lost both fumbles. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Not since BG played Temple in 06. Well, it doesn't matter. That's stupid college. <laughs> That's why the BG sucks. They do suck. We lost to a friggin' FCS school this so, week. So the Seattle Seahawks, who didn't score a point in the second half, win 17-16. to The reason why they won without scoring a point is because Denver only scored three. I mean, was that the biggest time clock management bundle of all time? Uh, I mean, it's it's it was bad. I don't know about all time, but holy moly, it was bad. I, I mean, listen, listen. I can understand you doing that on fourth down if you have Geno Smith as your quarterback or Jacoby Brissett as your quarterback. You traded three first round picks and gave Russell Wilson a two hundred sixty million dollar quarter uh, contract for those type of situations right there. Fourth and five, you need five yards. You have a legitimate bona fide franchise quarterback with the game on the line. That's why you pay him that money. That's why you trade all your draft capital for him. And what do you do? You have three timeouts and you let the clock run down and then you call a timeout and then you decide to kick a 64 yard field goal. And then in, in almost the dumbest part of all of it, when they missed the field goal and gave the ball back to Seattle with about 17 seconds left, the Broncos had two timeouts. And Nathaniel Hackett started calling his other two timeouts when the Seahawks had the ball at 17 seconds left. There's no mathematical equation that gets you the ball back when you when there's 17 seconds and you have two timeouts. None. And then not only that, the refs took about 10 seconds to grant him to grant Hackett that first timeout. And he started losing his mind as if, like, it had any sort of significance on the outcome of the game at all. It just makes you wonder what in the world he was thinking at that time. He's a buffoon. I mean, if you okay, so if you call timeout immediately with 55 seconds, even if you kick, theoretically you could have gotten the ball back, maybe. Yeah. At 20 seconds, you can't. But the thing is, unless if you have Justin Tucker or maybe Cade York on your roster— why are you going for a 64-yard field goal anyway? Well, see, the thing is, like, Brandon McManus uh, is a very capable kicker. He actually owns the record. He had the record for the longest field goal in NFL history before Justin Tucker broke it last year. So I get that, but also he did that in Denver. Right. My whole thinking is, if you if this was last year for Denver – I would have been okay with what happened because they would have had either Teddy Bridgewater or Drew Locke as their quarterback. 
At that case, in that case, yeah, maybe you think that you have a better chance of hitting the field goal than you do picking up that fourth and five in that situation. That's not the case when you have Russell Wilson as your quarterback. If you listen, if you went for it and you didn't get it, nobody was going to second guess you because it's Russell Wilson. Right. You're getting second guessed because you uh, basically pussied out and decided to let the clock run down and try and kick a field goal. This it's, play would have made sense if the Broncos were legitimately in field goal range. Yes. I mean, well, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what the timeout situation was for Seattle. They may have been calling timeouts on the other side if that was the case. I think they but, had two left. But, like, but uh, this also it, it also didn't help that Jerry Judy dropped a 12-yard pass on first down uh, down there, which would have put them in field goal range. But. I mean, there's any number of situations that would have won the game for Denver, and especially Melvin Gordon just holding on yeah. to the freaking ball. Yeah, but, so... Like, um, so anyway, that is around the NFL this week. The um, gist of why we went so long on that game was that we don't have uh, either one of our survival teams for this week. Oh, so yeah. we are going to have to restart. Yeah. Uh, and you're going to have to pay attention to our social medias in order to find out uh, who we're going to pick this week. So. We're also not going to pick games on the show. We will post those on social media uh, just because we had to cancel the post-game show, so we had to do our post-game wrap-up this week uh, on the show on Tuesday. And uh, so, yeah, that was week one in the NFL, and uh, we will be back hopefully with a post-game show this coming Sunday. And, uh, yeah, so uh, that is that for week one in the NFL. Browns are 1-0, and ladies and gentlemen. <sighs> All right, so before we get out of here tonight, let's hit the Cleveland Guardians and let's go through the week that was. Uh, uh, before we do that, uh, Guardians 3-1 winners tonight. That makes the week that was even better. Manuel Classe with his 35th save on the season. Uh, so anyway, yeah, the week that was with the Gardos. The Guardians this week came within a hair's breadth of going unbeaten. The one game they lost in Kansas City, the final game of the series, was a game they were winning one nothing going into the ninth inning, oh. and Classe ended up blowing the series. Blew his second save of the season. But honestly, I, you know, when that happens, it stinks. I put it more on the offense. You couldn't score more than one run. I mean, you shouldn't have been in that situation. Come yeah. on. But the Guardians offense woke up after that, and they have been, I mean, not like earth-shattering totals, not like 9, 10, 11, 12 runs, but... They've been putting out five, six, seven pretty much every night during this streak. And with the pitching continuing to do as well as they've done, I mean, this is what we said last week. The pitching was only giving up like three, four runs a game. You shouldn't yeah. have gone two and five the previous week. The pitching pretty much was about that again this week. Yeah. The difference was the offense. So just going back by results, uh, last Tuesday, September 6th, in Kansas City, Guardians win 4-1. to one. Uh, as Steve mentioned, the final game of that series on Wednesday, Guardians had, took a one nothing lead into the bottom of the ninth and lost 2-1. to uh, Then we had the crucial series with the Twins, which we <laughs> brought out the brooms and swept the Twinkies. Uh, we were up 7 to nothing in the first game, hung on and won that game 7-6. to We were up 6 nothing in the second game, hung on and won that game 6-4. to The Twins scored four runs in the ninth inning in that game. Um, 
And then we completed the sweep on Sunday with a four to one victory. Uh, Guardians beat the Angels yesterday five to four in a really wild game in the seventh inning where both managers got tossed without a pitch being thrown in between. Tito Francona was out uh, arguing that uh, Andres Jimenez got hit by a pitch and they wouldn't review it, so he lost his ever-loving mind and got thrown out. And then, because there was a bit of a delay while Tito was arguing, after that uh, fracas had ended, the, the umpire wouldn't let the Angels pitcher warm back up after that to get the game back going. And then the Angels manager got thrown out because of that. It was a wild scene. This is what happens when umpires think they're bigger than the game and they oh, start you know, taking over it, the you game. Know what, you know what happened right after that? The home plate umpire the home plate umpire got hit by a foul ball and had to leave the game. <laughs> Karma. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So <clears throat> Guardians uh got a late RBI uh in that game to win five to four and then just as I mentioned, three to one over the Angels uh tonight. One more with the Angels tomorrow and then we have a makeup game with the White Sox before the Twins come in for five. Listen to this. The Guardians are going to play from now until Sunday. Wait, yeah, Sunday. Are going to play one, two, three, four, five. Wait, yeah, one, two. Starting on Wednesday through Sunday, they play six games, Yeah, I believe. Yeah, that's great. Six games in, what, five days? Wow. Four days. Five days, yeah. Yeah, they were supposed to have an off day on Thursday, but they have to make up a game with Chicago. And then on Saturday, they're making up a game with Minnesota. The Guardians essentially have a chance to slam the door on the division in this next uh, week and a half. Yeah, because after that five-gamer against Minnesota, they go to Chicago Chicago for three. three. So, yeah, that's it. I mean, basically, Guardians go over 500 in those games. The division's done, I think. It is indeed done. I I I agree. Totally. They're agree. up by three on Chicago right now. Coming into today, it could be more by the end of the day. And Minnesota had a horrific week. Minnesota. They're down by five now. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the Guardians going in to Target Field and sweeping them over the weekend. I mean, that was pretty much the whole ball game there. So, you know. Yep. That'll so do sorry, it. Sorry, Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, that that is crazy. The Guardians are almost on the doorstep of slamming the door shut in this division. Yeah, I mean, again, you win a majority of the games out of the next eight, it's almost like nine. They can, it's almost like they can taste it. You, We can start talking about who we're going to play in the playoffs and not whether we're going to be there. <clears throat> Absolutely. So... If you want to talk a little early about that, it looks like it's either going to be Toronto, Tampa, or Seattle. Which oh, I hope the, it's not Seattle. That's the team we don't want to see. I hope it's not Seattle. And then if you're talking about Toronto, that's going to stink because in the games that are played north of the border, uh, our setup man, James Karinchak, is not going to be able to play in those games because he's not vaccinated. Hmm. So, uh, yeah. Do you think that's part of the reason why the Blue Jays have such a good record this year? Because teams are missing guys whenever they have to play them in Toronto. I mean, how many how many guys are actually not vaxxed? 
I don't, uh, know. I don't know. I don't know what that number maybe is. Maybe it's but... one or two a team, but I mean that still matters now. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. That's that. That's it. I don't know why there wasn't. There's not a, a bigger stink made made about that as far as like a uh, unfair competitive advantage for Toronto. But it definitely is, at least in my estimation. Maybe yeah. not in every situation, but for some teams, I gotta believe it is. Yeah. So. Well, anyway, this is a uh, truncated, condensed version of Living Off the Land. We just wanted to get in touch and uh, talk about the Browns, talk about Week One in the NFL, and talk about the Guardians. Because they are almost there, ladies and gentlemen. Need a good week next week. The rest of this week and next week. Scarlett, how did you Hi, like, Scarlett. <laughs> how did you like the Browns and, and Guardians this week? Can you sing? Can you sing? <laughs> Come on, you are doing that earlier. She makes lots of noise, but then when prompted, she just doesn't do it. <laughs> she shrinks in the bright lights. Well, suffice to say, she was very satisfied. All right, we don't grab the mic, Scarlett. By everything this week, and it was all good, honestly. I mean, I'm happy. You happy, Dan? Oh, yeah. Baby's That was happy. a great week. Yep. It was a great week. Certainly was. Let's go do it again. This week's even bigger than last week, particularly yeah. on the baseball diamond, but even for the Browns. Two, like, like we let's, said, like we said, the Browns, no haven't, the, Browns haven't, the Browns haven't started 2-0 in 29 years. <laughs> I mean, that's unbelievable. So, oh, I'd be I'd also be remiss uh, if if I didn't uh, say that the uh, Cleveland Browns organization made the best decision that they've made, probably maybe since they've been back. Brownie the Elf is at midfield. It is the midfield logo, Brownie the Elf. So, absolutely fantastic. They did the uh, they did the unveil today. And, uh, yeah, so I just wanted to end on that note, but, uh, but yeah, so, uh, this has been it for, uh, living off the land. Uh, I hope you guys have enjoyed it. Little, uh, cameo by, uh, Scarlett Stefano and, uh, yeah. So you can follow us on social media at the LOTL podcast. Thanks you guys for listening for episode 228, uh, for Steven, for Scarlett, for champ. I'm Dan. You've been listening to Living Off the Land. And we will catch you guys next week. Go Browns. Go Guards. Go Cleveland. Oh, Cavs will unveil Donovan Mitchell in a press conference tomorrow. So, go Cavs as well. So, we will see you guys next week. Well, actually, we might see you on Sunday. Hopefully, we'll see you on Sunday. Yes. But until then, have a great week, guys. See ya. Bye. Bye.